Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be back. Really appreciated the prayer that Parker had this morning. It it goes so well with what we're going to be talking about in these verses. Sometimes I think we, we read these verses and we see these two guys and we look at them with disdain or we look down on them uh, and we judge them. And I'm so thankful that that's not the way that God treats us, that God loves us. And I think that what we're going to see in these verses this morning is an encouragement to us. And I think before we actually get into these verses, I'm just going to pray that God's spirit would work in our hearts and root out any kind of shame, any kind of uh, wrong thinking about how God looks at us, and that we can be encouraged from his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before you with full realization of the sin that uh, we live in daily, that we confess to you daily, and our own weakness. And we know that Satan can use that against us and accuse us nonstop every day and tell us that we're nothing, and yet you did everything for us. And as we look at your word this morning, we pray that we would be encouraged by your love and how it is displayed to us. Lord, may we be emboldened to get on mission with you and to follow you and to see you more clearly. I just pray that your spirit would have free reign in our hearts. All of us in this room have issues, some really important issues that we're dealing with in our lives, some very heavy, some consequential. Lord, I just pray that you would speak over that today. Pray that you would show us your way. Pray that you would encourage us We just ask that you would, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we read the the verses this morning, uh, you you may be familiar with those. Um, The title over this little grouping of verses says, The Cost of Discipleship. And really it's talking about that point at which what you say that you believe and you hold dear and is at your core really comes to action. Uh, One of the uh, commentators put it this way, it's the way of describing the inflection point between theory and practice. Are you a real believer, a disciple of Jesus, or are you a pretender? Where I come from, more rural backgrounds, There's a phrase called all hat, no cattle. That's the person that goes around talking about cattle and they know everything there is to know about cattle. They know how many are in the state, they know how much they cost and which is the best breeds and everything you can know. They dress like a person who would be a cattleman and they have the truck and they have all that. The only thing they don't have is cattle. They're a pretender. And so when we come to these 
points where our faith intersects with reality. That's where the rubber meets the road. And it's easy for us to look at these guys in these verses and to judge them as failures or frauds and and say the one guy was just clueless. He didn't even know what he was talking about. The other guy had priorities over Jesus, so he's a loser, and to look down at them. But what we want to do this morning is look at this a little bit differently. We want to look at this, I think, in a more complete way. I think instead of just focusing on the cost of discipleship, I would like for us to consider the whole of being a disciple of Jesus. Not just what is it going to cost you, because you get a skewed view of what that is. Something like the reality of Christian discipleship instead of just the cost. It does involve cost. It does involve suffering, but it's so much more than that. And so let's, let's break that down a little bit this morning. A disciple is somebody <clears throat> who is formed in the image of their teacher. In this case, Jesus is the teacher, and they want to be disciples of Jesus. So as we look at Jesus in this, he's talking about the fact that he's going to be going in his ministry. He doesn't even have a place to live, and he's talking about the sacrifice that he's going to be making in his ministry And it's important for us to realize Jesus isn't just suffering for suffering's sake as if there is something noble about suffering. He was willing to suffer for the cause of his mission. He wasn't some starving artist with a dream that didn't have anything and was willing to live a sacrificial life. I mean, we get these messed up visions of who Jesus is. Jesus was somebody who was laser focused on the mission that he was sent to do. And there wasn't anything that was gonna stop him from doing that. He wasn't just playing around. But to understand more fully the sacrifice that Jesus was offering, we need to more fully understand Jesus. Then you may say, well, I know Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He was, you know, you know. But these verses really give us a deeper window into who he was. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at three aspects this morning of discipleship. We're going to look at the master, the mission, and the ministry. That's, that's a little thing we call forced literation. So um, I could have done Messiah or master or whatever, but just, just roll with it. Uh, The first one is the master. And in verse 20 of our text, we get a hint here when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. He says, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And we just read over that and we go, oh, okay, yeah, son of man. But what we need to realize is that title, son of man, this is the first time that he's using this of himself. And we also need to realize where Jesus and his disciples are physically at this point in time. You remember, he's just come down off of the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. They're down here, they're in Capernaum, they're in kind of home territory. They've gone over to Peter's house. And so the area that they're in is largely inhabited by people that are Jewish, that are educated in the scriptures, and they know the scriptures. 
And so when Jesus uses this for the first time, he says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's referring to himself, and they know that. And that was like a bomb going on. That had to be shocking that somebody would have the audacity to call themselves the Son of God. Now, that may not resonate with us here this morning, but we want to jump back to what he's referring to in the book of Daniel is where this comes from. So we've got a slide with this. Daniel chapter 7 says, and this is, to say the least, a very interesting chapter in the Bible, okay? So after church, if you run over, you say, I'm going to read all of Daniel 7. That's great, but it talks about beasts, and four beasts, and they've got horns and eyes, and they've got all this stuff going on, and they're devouring it. It's really confusing, and we're not going to unpack any of that this morning. But in the midst of Daniel's vision about all of these, these kingdoms and power struggles and beasts and all that, he comes to these verses, and he says, um, starting in verse 13, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was, was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. All of those other beasts that he was talking about were all going to be destroyed. This is an awesome picture. And so you say, in Daniel it says, a son of man. This is a title that developed as they taught this and they thought through this and they talked about this son of man. It became a title, not a son of man, but the son of man referring to this person. And uh, Parker gave me this example this week that I can't get out of my mind, so I'm going to use it. You know, we, we do that kind of thing. There's a, a football team in a state called Michigan, and they think highly of themselves, and they, they have a lot of people that go to their football games, and so way back when they built a bigger stadium that they could watch football in, it's called uh, Michigan, what is it, uh, Michigan Stadium. The, not, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> it's called the Michigan Stadium. But the Michigan Stadium is big right? And so over time, all of these people from Michigan would come out of the woods and they would come up to watch this football game. And and all the time they were going, this place is big. And so they started to call it the big house. That's the way it evolved, right? Well, in this teaching, that's what happened. They were talking about a son of man, a son of man. And then over time, they came to reference it as the title the Son of Man. This mention of this title with Jesus and his disciple at this disciples at this point in time, when he said that of himself, I can only imagine what they were thinking. I mean, it had to be shocking to hear somebody refer to themselves as the Son of Man. It would be, you know, shocking like if somebody here said, I'm Jesus Christ. I mean, they, they were shocked. But 
that is who Jesus is. And he didn't just say, follow me because I said so. He didn't just say, follow me because I'm your teacher. He didn't just say, follow me because we've got important work to do. He said, the son of man, God himself. That puts a different weight on this passage, doesn't it? Now, all of a sudden, my focus as I was studying this went less to these two guys and what they were thinking to this first use of this term, the Son of Man. He is setting out from here to do his mission, the Son of Man. So that, that is his mission. That, that, is, that is the master. The mission then of the Son of Man is, and we've been talking about this throughout Matthew, they've gone around teaching and preaching and healing. Remember, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. That's what they're continuing to do here. He's setting out to do this. Now, verse 18, it says, he gave the command to go to the other side of the lake. Now, where was that going to go? Keep in mind, they were in their pretty home territory here. They were going to set off and go to a different area. We're going to see later that they were heading out to the Gentile area. And again, this is new stuff that the teaching isn't just for the Jews, but now this kingdom is not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody. And so he is pointing out that the mission for us is to go out and to rescue all of God's people. He is establishing his kingdom. He is building his kingdom and he is rescuing the people of his kingdom, his bride, the church, and he's going to any length to do that. And he's saying to these guys, come on, we've got work to do, let's go. We know that in the gospels, he talks about that a lot. In Luke 19, 10, he says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew, we're gonna see in, verse, in uh, chapter 16, he says, he said to them, he's talking to Peter. He said, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right in the middle there, I will build my church. That is the mission that Jesus is on. He's on a rescue mission. He is on a kingdom building mission. That is what he is doing. That is of the utmost importance. It is so important that he was willing to sacrifice for it. That is why he was wanting to go to the other side of the lake, not to get away from the crowds. You know, I would read this line, I would see him, oh, all the crowds are here, and he saw the crowds, he said, let's get out of here. And my cynical voice, my wrong voice, I think that God wants to get away from people. And that's not what he was doing at all. Now, I don't know fully what the decision-making was, but he's probably thinking the message has already arrived here. There are people here that know the truth. Now we need to go find the people that don't know. Let's go and reach the lost and keep it going. There was sacrifice. There was suffering. Jesus did suffer. He says, you know, the, 
the birds and the foxes, you know, these are lowly creatures. Birds are not special and foxes are unclean. You know, we, we don't think a lot about foxes and stuff, but think about possums and spiders. What if you use possums and spiders? You go, ew, they're gross. Even they have a place to be, but I don't because my mission is so important. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to do what my father has sent me to do. So what did it cost Jesus? Not just homelessness. What did it cost Jesus? He came down from his realm of glory and took on humanity. It cost a price, a sacrifice that none of us will ever know. We can't even fathom what it was that cost him. He faced betrayal, abandonment, abuse. Ultimately, he faced death, a brutal, vitriolic, humiliating death because his mission was that important. The mission of the Son of Man was one that could not be denied, and it was worth whatever sacrifice because the comparison between the sacrifice and the glory is, is, is not even close. He is here to rescue his own. The suffering is real, and it is, but it was a necessary byproduct of his mission. His mission was to give himself for the good of others, which resulted in suffering. He didn't want to have to suffer. It was never in his design for people to suffer, but he was willing to suffer because of the importance of his mission. So now we get down to the ministry, the ministry of the disciples. This is where we see the two responses from these two guys. The one says, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. The other one says, but first let me go bury my father. And we look at those, and it's easy for us to judge these guys. The first one, you say, well, this sounds like a person who's not really serious. It sounds like a person who's, oh, I'll go wherever you want to go, and hadn't fully thought it through or whatever. Honestly, we don't know. We know that Jesus responded to him by saying, no, where I'm going, I don't even have a place to be. Is that because this guy hadn't thought it through? Or Jesus wanted him to fully understand what he was signing up for? Or I don't know why I'm so cynical and I look at this guy like a loser. This is the guy that said the right thing. He said, I will go with you wherever you want me to go. And so Jesus, I think, was just wanting him to fully understand. You know, there, there are a lot of times when we're asked to do things that we don't fully understand, right? God asks us to do things that we don't fully understand. It is sweet when he does give us the full explanation of what it is. And so he wanted him to know this. There may have been some doubt that if this guy did know, that he wouldn't go. We don't know, that's speculation. But the reality is Jesus wanted him to know what he was signing up for. The second guy, this is a little more clear. This is the guy that said, first let me go bury my father. And keeping in mind that this was a Jewish audience, a Jewish disciple, the way that it would work was if, if his father had died, he wouldn't have been there. Because within 24 hours they have to bury the dead and then there's a whole deal and they have to bury him in the ground. And Needless to say, his father wasn't dead or had already died and been buried. 
And so what this guy is asking for is an extended period to take care of some of his responsibilities, legitimate, real family responsibilities. It's, it's generally understood that this guy was probably the eldest in his family, and he wanted to do the right thing by his family and make sure everything was in order before he went. Seems like a good guy, right? And yet the reality is, is that he was seeing clearly his earthly responsibilities and all this, but he wasn't seeing clearly the Son of Man. If the Son of Man, God himself, asks us to do something, he's got those other things handled, right? He's not going to leave this guy's family in the lurch, and, and, and he's going to care for them. We sometimes take on responsibility that we don't own. Well, I would do this for God, but I've got to do this, that, and the other. We own too much responsibility, but what we need to do is see God for who he is. And when he says, I want you to do this, we, we should with joy say, it would be an honor. I will do that. And God, you know what I am about, and I can trust you with this. This is a different level of trust, isn't it? This is a different way of living. This is living in the glory of the Son of God, the Son of Man. That's a thrilling place to be. We don't have to have it all figured out, and we don't have to worry about all of that because he can be trusted. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? You're everywhere. You're my everything. You're, all of those songs that we just sang, we said all of those words, did we mean it? Are we willing to follow him and do what he is asking us to do? Do we really trust that he will? Now, I've got to give these, this is a little sidebar. I've got to give these guys a little bit of a break because you have to remember who the person of Jesus, the human, human being of Jesus was. He was fully human, fully God. Here is this guy, Jesus, that is telling them that he is the son of man, and he's telling them, commanding them to do all this stuff, and they're looking at a human person, right? What did Jesus look like? I don't think the chosen got it right. Does anybody here watch the chosen? I like the guy that plays him, and he's a very likable guy, right? He's, he's just a normal guy, but he's too good looking, he's too affable, he's too attractive. It just, that's not what the word says. I, I had to go to Isaiah 53. Again, this is a rabbit trail, but stay with me. Isaiah 53 says, he grew up before them like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impression, he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him no appearance that we should desire him. That, that means he wasn't good looking, okay? <laughs> that's, that's biblical translation. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was sickly, he had sickness. He wasn't uh, this superhuman. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. 
So I'm looking at these two guys and Jesus is talking to them. He's commanding them basically to abandon their lives and follow him. And now I look at Isaiah and I think that Jesus was this little sickly guy that wasn't attractive and he's asking them to trust him and to go with him. And people back then are people just like we're people today. And you can't help but be affected by what you see, right? We have the blessing of the the painting of Jesus now. We know what Jesus looks like, right? What a joke. I think if Jesus was in here today, you know, we would probably be a little bit put off. Let's just be real about this. What an awesome thing that the Holy God took on that form. He didn't take on the form of a 6'8", 300-pound, you know. He took on that form. That is the form that these guys were looking at when he was commanding them to follow him and to go to the other side of the sea. But he was nonetheless the Son of Man. So the question for us is when we think of Jesus, when we look at Jesus, do we value him as the Son of Man worthy of everything that we have, all of our trust? Do we look at it as joyful participation in God himself in an undeserved blessing that God would want to work with us and through us? Why would he choose me? Why wouldn't he choose other people that are stronger, smarter, and prettier, and all these things? But he chose me to do something. Is that the way we look at it? in humility, or do we see him as the Isaiah 53, sick, weakly, humble servant, and, uh, and, and you don't want to be around him. You want to help him out, do him a favor, um, but if he asks you to do something that interferes with your life, you're going to have to get back to him on that. How do we see Jesus? You know, There is a cost to following Jesus. We don't need to do a cost-benefit analysis to see if it's worth it. It is worth it. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I like the King James Version's rendering of this where it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I would say it seems unreasonably good. I mean, when you talk about service, a burden, a cost, but when you look at what you get in return, it seems like a pretty good deal, even beyond reasonable. The reason I don't like necessarily the title here, The Cost of Discipleship, is that it focuses too much on cost of discipleship. When we focus too much on the cost of discipleship, we, we cling to entitlement, you know? We, we deserve more. I deserve what other people have. I deserve to be respected. I deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be put upon. And we have this mentality of entitlement. Would you, this is a rhetorical question, would you, re, would you consider yourself to be entitled? Again. No head nodding, just just think about that. 
Generally, I think we would all say no, but I would say the diagnostic to that is when you perceive yourself to have been wronged, somebody did you wrong, how do you respond? Are you indignant or are you filled with mercy and grace? It's just a help for us. Now let's shift our thinking a bit. We've talked about cost. We've talked about all that. Let's flip the script a little bit. Let's say that you're on greeter duty out here in the foyer and you're not a people person. And we've got some of you in here that you're just not a people person. I mean, to have to be around people and talk with people in a public place exhausts you. You would rather do anything than to have to talk to a bunch of people. And you think, man, that is just, that's, that's a high price. That's a lot to ask. It just drains me. I just dread it when I have to do greeter duty. Now, let's say that, that I came to you and said, look, if you will do greeter duty next week, all you have to do is stand out there at the door. It's about a half an hour. And you'll greet people. After the service is over next week, I'm going to transfer into your account $1 billion dollars. Used to be able to say a million, but with inflation, you know, one billion dollars. Say, well, that's ridiculous. It is. I don't have a billion dollars. You know that. But let's say that I did. And uh, I was going to transfer a billion dollars into your account. All of a sudden, things changed and you're not focusing on the suffering of having to be a greeter anymore, are you? No, you're the happiest best greeter in the history of greeters. You're just so happy to be able to greet people because you know what's coming. You're getting a billion dollars. This is awesome. You wouldn't even think about the burden of greeting. See how you can just flip that around? From staring at it, focusing at the burden and the cost to me, all of a sudden understand more fully that you're talking about the Son of Man, the Son of God that has everything and has done everything and it is more important than anything. The cost of discipleship is only a small part of it and it should not be our focus. Would you complain about the cost of a $2 lottery ticket? You know, the lottery was last night. The Powerball was $1.4 billion. Nobody won. Next time it's going to be $1.55 billion. If you want to come and go and say, hey, do you guys have the winning ticket? And they say, yeah, we've got it back in the, in the safe. You go, well, how much is it? They say, it's $2. Yeah, boy, that's a lot. I don't know if I... It, it can't cost you 50 cents to print that thing. Why do you charge two bucks? That seems like a lot. It's ridiculous. You would take that in a heartbeat. You would never think about the cost of that ticket knowing that it's worth $1.55 billion. It reminds me, coming back to the Bible, away from the lottery, please don't buy a ticket this week. You will lose. Matthew 13, 44, it's the parable that we're going to go through here in not too long. Of the hidden treasure, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure 
buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and tells everyone he has and buy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. All of a sudden, he's not focused on the cost of giving up everything that he has because he knows what he's getting, right? A treasure is there. Why do we focus on the cost of discipleship? We should be focused on the glory of who he is and the joy and the gratitude that he would want to be in a relationship with us, that he would offer a position for us to be on his team. You know, when I was a little boy, we lived out in the country. We, we had one car. We, I won't get into that. It was a long time ago. But if my dad would choose one of us boys to go into town with him and run errands, that was a, that was a big deal. That was quite an honor. And if I got to go with him on a trip to town, I didn't sit there thinking about all the fun things that I'm missing out on back home because what I was doing was so much better than anything I could have been doing back home. Jesus is asking us into his world. Why would we give a thought to what we're giving up? What would we, why would we give a thought to the cost that it is costing us to be in ministry with him? You know, our suffering and service for Jesus isn't just self-flagellation. It isn't that God is going to love us if we, if we suffer for him. It's a it's a willingness to set aside our lives, our dreams, our aspirations, our goals for what he's asking us to do with the understanding that what he has is so much better than anything that we could put together. Do you believe that? I mean, this is where what we say and reality come together, Right? Because there are times when God does ask us to do some things that are going to impact our dreams, our visions, our goals, our plan. And are we going to be caught up in focusing in on the cost of what it's going to cost me to walk away from my plan and follow him? Are we going to be in joy like this this guy who found this treasure in the field, who couldn't sell his stuff fast enough. Forget the cost. I get to go be with my Savior. I get to go be with the Son of Man. There's nothing to compare to that. So a couple questions. What would keep you this morning from following Jesus' command in your life fully. Jesus asks you to do something. Maybe he's moving in your heart. He says, you know what? I want you to go serve in this nonprofit and give up your business, your career, your whatever. I want you to go be a part of this mission operation. I want you God's moving in your life to do something. What in your life would keep you from following him with joy and gratitude? You know, all of us have a different answer to that. The problem is the second question, and that is how are you positioning your life to hear that command? 
because I guarantee you God is talking and God is moving, but we all get busy and our lives get noisy and we don't hear. God has so many blessings that he wants to use us for, so many service opportunities that he would gladly use us and we don't hear because we have our AirPods in. Because we're busy running from this to that and the other thing. We're so proud of ourselves because of all of the things that we're doing that we don't have time to hear God. That's why I'm so thankful that we are talking about things like silence and solitude. I had never considered the importance of silence and solitude like I do now because all of my life what was valued was hard work and, and accomplishment in doing things and helping people and building things and all of that. There was never a value put on silence and solitude where I could just sit and listen to God and say, God, what is it? What is it? That is so important. And so you can see this goes from being a judgment of these two guys that had these answers that we can look at and say they're losers to an encouragement that the Son of Man is right in the middle of this and he's doing mission and he is wanting to take us with him. So the last thing, I'm, and we're going to leave this up on the screen if we've got it. The cost of discipleship doesn't even register compared to the glory and blessing of being his disciple. What does that mean for me in my life today and this week and going forward? How is it going to flip my mind from it's such a burden to do these things for God too? What a joy to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'm going to be so thankful every day. And when I hear that voice in my ear that says, they're asking a lot from you. I'm going to see it for what it is, and I'm going to reject that. And I'm going to live in gratitude for who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Lord, you are an awesome and a wonderful God. You are full of love and goodness, and kindness and mercy. Lord, you are everything. There is nothing this world or our lives that we personally can do or create or build that would come anywhere close to comparing to you. And the thought of having you offer and invite us into relationship with you is just more than we can understand. So I pray that you would through your spirit, I pray that you would do the work in our hearts that we would see this text and we would understand how great you are and that our lives would be focused on that and not on what perceived sacrifice or cost, 
Lord, it is such a privilege, such a joy, so life-giving to be with you and where you are. I just pray that you would help us to be able to hear you and give us the courage to follow you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.